Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to talk about a skincare line I've been using. We all know that lines and wrinkles are a normal part of aging, and as I'm moving toward my mid-40s, I'm trying to age as gracefully as possible, so I started to consider Botox. Not wanting to make that financial commitment, I started to look into alternative options and found Frownies Facial Patches. I've been personally using Frownies Facial Patches, their apple serum and under-eye gels for about a year. I wear the facial patches while I sleep. They hold your facial muscles in place and retrain them to lie in a smooth, flat position. I started wearing them five nights a week and have since transitioned to using them once or twice a week for maintenance. I've noticed a big reduction in my forehead lines, and I use their apple serum and under-eye patches to target other facial lines. If you want to try them out, just use a link in our show notes and get 10% off, or just use our code CRIME10. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hello, Mike. Hey, sweetheart. How are you? I'm doing pretty good today. How are you? Uh, Good. So do we have to say that like every time? Like, I think that's really the same thing. Like, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I like saying sweetheart, but like, I think you got to spice up your side a little bit. Yeah, more. I have no spice in me today. It's it's dead. Oh, great. It's, it's been dampened out. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to hang out with you today so far. <laughs> We've been, um, you yeah, know, putting stuff back together after the hurricane came through and you've been kind of on a mission to get yeah. everything back out yeah. on the patio and stuff and cleaned and, you know, how they're mm-hmm. BS like that. Yeah, I tend to not like my patio furniture in my living room. So when a nice sunny Saturday comes around, I'd say it's time to put the furniture back outside where it belongs. And Mike is the incredible disappearing man when it's time to do stuff around the house. He's just gone. Well, how long have we been married now? 20-something years? 22, 3, what, 2, 21. Oh, how many years have we? Is it 20? Yeah, 21. Yeah, because we got married in 02, so you just subtract 2 from the yeah. current year. As long as it's past May, then we're good. That's how the math works, folks. I know how math works. It's just this life with you is just wearing me down. <laughs> oh, well, that makes two of us. So we are a weekly true crime podcast every Sunday around 9 a.m. Eastern. Come out with a new episode, sometimes a little after, because Apple picks it up late and Spotify's pretty good, so whatever. But uh, we appreciate you being around here. And um, yeah, go ahead and uh, check out our Patreon if you want even more episodes. We'll talk about uh, all of our new patrons this week. Yes, and clearly we are just a dysfunctional couple couple yeah if you can get any words out there i know we were doing like testing and my words were getting jumbled so i promise you guys i'm gonna get it together i've got my iced brown sugar espresso drink i got 10 ounces of hot coffee here i'm gonna drink it and we're gonna get through this and i hope you guys get enjoyment even though this story is awful yeah um, so yeah we did have the hurricane that was always scary i swear i sang the green day song wake me up when september ends because I hate hurricanes. We've been in Florida for many years now. I think somewhere around 18. We live in a bad state if you hate hurricanes. <sighs> yeah. You know, I moved down here because my parents did. As did I. Uh, your parents. I didn't know anything about this hurricane situation. Nobody <laughs> told me about this. Even though the year before we moved in, there was a big one. Katrina, no, I think, right? It, no. The year we moved down here, there were like four hurricanes. Mm-hmm. But I think we moved halfway through the season, or I did. And I was like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Yeah, I kind of forgot about that whole thing. It's just, it's so scary because you just like watch this thing coming at you. It's like a monster and you have to get ready for it. You're, there's so many uncertainties. It just sucks. Um, a lot of times the track can say it's going to come right over your house and then it like changes two days later. And yeah, it's, yeah it, it might change hours, right. you know, before it hits. We definitely feel bad for anybody that got affected by it. Yeah. Um, you know, some flooding in the inland, but we're far enough from the water. Like we don't live on the ocean or anything. Mm-hmm. So the um, Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, I'm way too cheap for that. And not to mention, we don't have the money for that. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Don't so really if you want to become option. a patron, 
patron and help us to get to the water. <laughs> you know, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Then we'll record. We'll have that nice in the background instead of these uh, black skulls. So, yes. Um, but yeah, besides that, it's been uh, been a little busy week getting things back together. I, my feet hurt because I've been moving so much this morning. First one on a three-mile walk. Then you got me uh, power washing like ceilings and stuff, and I didn't do a good enough job there. I had to go back behind you. Yeah. And you should talk about your debut of announcer for our oh. son's football game. Oh, man. It was so fun. So my bucket list, one of my bucket list items was to be a PA announcer, public address announcer for uh, any kind of game. So I got to sign up finally for my son's JV football game, and I was the voice of the Gators of Lando Lakes. Yeah, you did a really good job. Thank you. Thank you. I, I told you to say that regardless, so I don't really, I'm not really sure. The coach said I, I did good. Yeah, I didn't have to lie. Yeah. You did a really good job. I've, I've, thank you very much. I, I, I really enjoyed myself, and I was just getting better, getting to know the numbers. A couple people said you got the kids' names wrong. I'm like, well, it says 20 is uh, Mr. X here, so I'm sorry. we got to change that. Yeah, it's like the least they could do is give you an accurate list of the players' names. Yeah, it, it's all volunteer, so I, I get it. Like <laughs> They put li- Mike up in the like hot box of a room there's like no air conditioning up there it's 110 degrees outside so i find out on this like this thing that they give me the script it's like okay well here's where you play like thunderstruck by acdc so i'm like okay look around Uh, i guess i'm playing it on my phone and i get my phone out and it's like thunderstruck not me singing it, but it's actually playing from my, my phone. And then it's like, okay, next is a Star Spangled Banner. So I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, please rise and please stand for the national anthem. Meanwhile, I'm like trying to oh my like, put it into my phone. Like, and nobody told him anything. Like he had no idea what to expect going up there. I over communicate, I think. Oh, and another thing is they asked me to be the team mom to bring the food to the players because they eat dinner before games. And I told Mike, I said, I have a sneaking suspicion. I'm not going to be able to carry this stuff. They've given me no information. So finally, I think the day of, I got information of to what restaurant I was even going to. Thank goodness you came. I I don't know what I would have done. There's like four huge boxes of sandwiches and cookies and chips and stuff. Very nice of the local business to do so. But like really heavy. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like this lack of communication. Although they do a great job. I know it's a lot it's of work. Lot. It's all volunteer. I get that. But I would have been screwed. Yeah, you, you complain a lot. It's basically what we're getting I do at. complain. And then when we did the concession stand, they said it was air conditioned. Uh-huh. It was a million degrees in that thing. I'm oh. like, bullshit, this thing is air conditioned. There's definitely air conditioning in there. It's just that once you open every single window in there, all the air conditioning goes out. Certainly didn't feel it. Yeah. So, so anyway, big, enough of my complaining, but you did a fantastic job. Thank you so very much. That's and all the, I have to say about that. The podcasting that. thing helps, so mm-hmm. that's good. It does. So if you're ready to go, I am. I'm ready. Let's dive okay, in. Okay, so let's do this. So this is the murder of Daniel Markell, and this is a patron suggestion from Naomi. So thank you so much, Naomi. So Daniel Markell was born on October 9th, 1972, to parents Ruth and Phil. He was raised in Toronto, Canada. His mom compared him to Dennis the Menace because of his rambunctious and wild streak. He graduated magna cum laude laude with his undergraduate degree from Harvard. So he's a real, you know, uneducated guy. Yeah, sounds like an idiot. I hear Harvard's really easy to get into. I've heard of it once or twice. So he studied there uh, politics and philosophy. He was very intrigued with his Jewish heritage, and he actually went on to Israel that there he uh, earned his graduate degree at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And he also earned his master's degree in political theory from Emmanuel College, Cambridge, before going on to Harvard Law School in 2001. He went on to work as a law clerk in, at a practice in Washington, D.C. He was practicing white-collar criminal defense before he moved on to teaching. So in 2005, Dan joined the Florida State University College of Law. He was tenured in 2010. If he wasn't busy enough doing 
everything involved with that. He also co-authored a book. Um, it connected crime, punishment, and family, and it was called Privilege or Punish, Criminal Justice Justice, and the Challenge of Family Ties. One of those high achievers. Mm-hmm. And then he also co-founded a blog that's still active. So this was in 2005, and it's called Prof's Blog. He also wrote a law review or many law review articles that argued for abolition of the death penalty. He also had a strong interest in sports law that proposed that fans be given the opportunity to participate in the management of sports teams, which Mm. I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So his students regarded him as a tough but fair taskmaster. He was highly regarded by his colleagues who viewed him as a superstar that commanded attention at prestigious legal conferences. He demanded much of himself as well as others. A former student indicated that anytime they needed to talk, Dan was there. He always took interest in his students, which a good teacher will do. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot don't, but that's uh, that's all you can ask for. Mm-hmm. So Dan met Wendy Adelson, Adelson, excuse me, who was a University of Miami law student on a, a dating website for Jewish people. It was called J Date. Okay. She, and uh, Miami's not close to FSU, so he was at FSU and yeah, she was at Miami. Yeah. So top of the state, towards the bottom of the state. Yeah, which is Florida's a huge state. And actually, at this point in time, when they first met, he was still in Washington D.C. Oh, even further. Yeah. So even further. So she was seven years younger than him, and again, she's living in Florida. Wendy had been raised in the Fort Lauderdale area, the Miami area, by a successful family that owned a dentistry business. It was ultimately run by her dad, Harvey, and her brother, Charlie, while her mom, Donna, coordinated patient care. She also had a second brother. He was also older, named Rob. Very smart family. She's a lawyer. The one's a dentist. Rob's a doctor. So what more can you ask for? Um, Rob is not going to be part of the story. I will tell you that. So Wendy had graduated also magna cum laude from Brandeis University. She went on to receive a master's degree in international relations from Cambridge. There she was a Gates scholar. She was described as incredibly bright and intelligent. Despite being a law student, she was a very quirky, carefree, funny spirit. Um, When she was 23 years old, she was actually a contestant on The Weakest Link. Mm. It's an interesting little tidbit. She said on there, I heard her, when she was a child, she wanted to be a giraffe when she grew up. So Dan was offered the FSU law professor position while they were dating. And then the university also offered Wendy a teaching position on a contract basis in the College of Law as a clinical law professional, professor, excuse me, that specialized in human trafficking issues. So there, then the couple came together. She's coming up from the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. He's moving from Washington, D.C. So soon after, the couple announced their plan to get married when Wendy was 26 and Dan was 33. The two were married in a synagogue in Boca Raton, Florida on February 26, 2006. Both families split the cost of the wedding, but it was Wendy's family that ultimately covered the catering. And despite Dan's wishes for the food to be kosher, he shows up to his reception, assuming his wishes are going to be met because it is his wedding. Obviously, it's Wendy's too, but he realized it wasn't kosher food. And this kind of started a bit of a divide between himself and his in-laws. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of rude. Yeah. uh, I mean, the request is there. And if you're not specifically saying, I don't know if we're going to be able to do that, you know, communicate it properly. Mm -hmm. You know, he was devastated when he showed up. Yeah, It's a big deal for people like him. It is. So after the wedding, they returned to their lives in Tallahassee. The two seemed incredibly happy as they welcomed their two sons into the world. 
They had Benjamin in 2009 and Lincoln in 2010. Friends would later say that it seemed like they had it all. They remember one one couple in particular they were talking. They remember going to their house for a dinner party. They felt they left the house feeling inadequate about their own relationship. Like, oh, we suck. I already feel inadequate just talking about them and their successes and uh, smartness and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Well, like our previous episode about Meredith Chapman, I, I feel like... I've done nothing with my life after hearing about all these educations. So they said that Wendy and Dan danced and sang together and they were outwardly affectionate towards one another. Wendy referred to Dan as Mr. Bear and Dan called Wendy Mrs. Bear. Personally, I think it's kind of cringy, but that's just me. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Big Bear. Yeah, I guess sometimes when I'm with a couple and they're just like... don't like say in front of other people. Over the top affectionate. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. like... Ugh. Well, maybe they didn't do it in front of other people. Maybe it was just like them together. Uh, who knows? Although maybe. how would anybody know unless they did it in front of other people? Right. So and again, right. they did leave the house feeling inadequate about their own relationship. Right, right. Okay. So the fairy tale came to a screeching halt. <gasps> On Monday, September 10th, 2012, when Dan, I believe he was on a business trip in New York City. So he comes home expecting to find his family there. Uh, No, they were not there. Most of his possessions were removed from the home. His family was nowhere to be found. His wife and his boys were gone. So he found divorce papers perched on a mattress that was strewn on the floor. While Dan was gone, Wendy moved their two boys to her parents' home in Coral Springs, Florida, 450 miles away. But eventually, she had to bring them back to Leon County to face legal battles with Dan. It was said that Dan was stunned. He never imagined that something like this would happen so quickly. Don't get me wrong. He did speak with one of his friends on his business trip in New York, mentioning, you know, that there was a distance between them. He felt like things weren't good. But he did not expect this. Yeah, I mean, usually it's not like, hey, things are great. Holy crap, we're divorced. You know, usually you feel something. So immediately he tried to reconcile the relationship. The divorce was said to be very contentious. And court documents show that Dan argued that the children should not be allowed to leave Tallahassee since there was no need or benefit to ripping the fabric of their lives, is how he described it. Makes sense to me. So for weeks, Wendy refused to tell Dan where she and the children had gone. <laughs> how is that legal? I don't know how that's, that's legal. That's like kidnapping. I mean, basically. really, because, you know, I'm a parent as much as you are. Right. So what right do I have to take our kids away from you? None. Until something has been established by the law, I don't have that right. That's my understanding. I'm not a lawyer. So for weeks, uh, again, Wendy did not tell Dan where she'd gone, gone, and he viewed this as cruel and abrupt. So Wendy argued that the move to Coral Springs would bring the children closer to their grandparents, which would provide them with improved stability and consistency. In July of 2013, Wendy's request to relocate the children permanently to that area was denied. So Wendy and Dan agreed to split custody of the children 50-50, and Dan agreed to pay Wendy $841 a month in addition to the lump sum payment he had paid her of $120,000 when they did divorce. So despite these agreements, I should say, squabbles over money did continue. 
In February of 2014, Dan filed a motion to enforce the marriage settlement agreement, claiming that claiming, excuse me, that Wendy and her lawyer were not forthcoming about her financial assets. Because obviously, in order to properly split up the assets, you have to be forthcoming with what you have. Sure. And if there's no prenuptial agreement, then it's 50-50. And I know Florida is a no-fault state, so it doesn't matter who did what. Ultimately, it comes down to who makes what. So the next month, Dan filed a motion to prevent Wendy's mother, Donna, from having unsupervised time with his sons after his kids told him, Grandma hates you and thinks you're stupid. <laughs> I mean, that's not funny, but I, well, I was I'm, like, why would he do that? Okay, now I'm I I'm sure you'd be pissed off, oh, too. Oh, 100%. I would definitely slash your mom's tires. I would go out oh, of my way to not. do... Well, I, now I can't do that because I just mentioned it, but I would do some things that I would never mention on this My podcast. mom's a patron. You can't do that. Um, right. That's true. But just, hey... Listen, if you're listening, Ma, um, don't do any of this stuff. Watch your back, Betty. That's right. So a court hearing was scheduled in regards to this motion, but it was delayed. And ultimately, it Dan never was able to make it. He was murdered before this court hearing. Well, that came out of nowhere. Yes. Well, that's the story <laughs> is the murder of Dan Markell. And it's going to be something to do with Wendy's family, I'm sure. So Wendy later went on as a guest of a podcast and confessed that she lacked a passionate love toward Dan and indicated that their marriage dissolved after the kids were born. She said that she felt a sense of loneliness and believed that Dan did not view her as an equal in their marriage, despite her own impressive career. Wendy indicated that Dan continuously belittled her achievements and even refused to read a novel that she had written. It was called This Is Our Story. She said he did not like fiction, so he simply didn't want to read it. Um, as a man that doesn't like fiction... You know, I mean, I, I would have to read your book if you wrote it, you know, mm-hmm. just to be a nice guy and, I, you know, get through it painfully. I should hope you would read a book that I published. Yeah, and I would read it and I might not be able to comprehend it, but I'd be like, hey, you did a great job. So what the book was, um, it, according to Amazon, I should say, the book has 3.7 stars with 101 ratings. It's a story about two women from different countries who become victims of human trafficking. So during the tumultuous time between Dan and Wendy, Wendy began a relationship with a fellow FSU professor named Jeffrey Lacoste. You said during their time? As they were going through their divorce, yes. So Dan had also started dating as well. He was dating a woman who was a prominent New York law professor. Friends advised him to just put his marriage with Wendy behind him and just focus on the future and moving forward. So on Friday, July 18th, 2014... 41-year-old Dan left his home in Tallahassee in his black Honda Accord to drop his boys off at their preschool. He dropped them off at 8.50 a.m. So from there, he made the 15-minute drive to the Premier Health and Fitness Center. He arrived at 9.12 a.m. and left the gym at about 10.38. Little did he know that a car had been following him throughout the morning. Dan made his way home, and as he pulled into his driveway, his cell phone rang. He picked up the phone, he spoke to this person, and he mentioned as he was talking and pulling in that there was someone on his driveway that he didn't recognize. The person on the phone heard a loud grunt and a muffled conversation in the background. They were unable to make out any words that these were exchanged. He then heard labored breathing and could not get Dan to respond again. 
Wow. So at this same time, Dan's neighbors are hearing what they believe to be gunshots. So they went toward his garage. One neighbor in particular actually entered his garage to investigate what he heard. Very brave. He then ran back to call 911 at 11.02 a.m. The neighbor told the dispatcher that he found Dan's driver's side window shattered and that Dan was inside the running car with blood all over his head. He was not responsive. Paramedics arrived and found the garage door open and Dan was slumped over in the driver's seat of the car with an apparent gunshot wound to the head. It was very obvious when they looked at him what had happened. So there was no sign of a break-in at the house, no signs of any kind of robbery. At this point, he was still alive. The keys remained in the ignition of his car. Dan was transported to a local hospital and was found to have two gunshot wounds to his head. Dan's parents, Ruth and Phil, were in Montreal when they received this devastating phone call, the phone call that no parent ever wants to hear, that their son had been shot and he would likely not survive. If he did survive, he would be a vegetable for the rest of his life. Man, and you're so far away. Oh, it's just awful. Dan's sister, Shelly Markell, said that she could have never imagined this scenario and she just keeps waiting to just wake up from this nightmare. So it's like they're living in hell. So meanwhile, residents of Dan's neighborhood were absolutely stunned and terrified. I mean, somebody just walked up to this guy who's pulling into his garage and shot him twice in the head. So number one, this isn't an area that something like this happens. Number two, it happened in the middle of the day. You know, what was it, like 11 something in the morning? So it was it was a crazy situation. So the neighbor who called 911 obviously spoke with police He indicated that he had seen a light-colored car that looked to be a Toyota Prius back out of the driveway and head down the road, leaving rapidly. Police went door-to-door. They were trying to look to see if um, anybody had potential security cameras and footage that could have caught which direction that these this car went. It's pretty easy to find car, Toyota Prius. Yeah, so... Not many people drive them. Uh, in this area, apparently, it's very heavily driven. Oh, okay. Yeah. So five days later, police released a grainy photo of what they thought was a silver Prius. Um, but again, in this area, a Prius is a very commonly driven car. So police found Wendy at a local restaurant where she was having lunch with friends. They brought her in for an interview that same day at about 2.48 p.m. to tell her what happened. So she's sitting in the interview room and the detective entered and she said that a friend just informed her that there was a shooting at Dan's block or on Dan's block. The detective said, yeah, well, that's why you're here. Uh, Dan was shot at his home. He has been taken to the hospital. He will not survive this. So she began to weep and ask what happened. As she calmed down, she voiced her fears for her children's safety. Officers took her photo and swabbed her hands for gunshot residue. She allowed the detectives to take her cell phone and also search her minivan. She admitted that Dan had caused her a lot of grief, but she would have never done something like this. She said that she understood that she was being looked at as a suspect and she just wanted to cooperate. Okay, well, she checks out, seems like. So Wendy said that that morning she was at home. She was waiting on a TV repairman. She then left the house, went out to buy a bottle of liquor for a party that she planned to attend. She then went out to lunch with friends and that's where police found her. So police continued to dig into all aspects of Dan's life and thought that this could have potentially been a disgruntled student or someone who disagreed with his ideas. The staff at FSU worried that this could have been tied to the campus, like, are one of us next? 
Because you don't know. Yeah, anything's possible. So 15 hours after Dan was shot, he was pronounced dead, sadly. And those that knew him grieved the loss. Wendy was questioned if she knew if there was anyone that would have had any reason to have murdered Dan. She did mention her boyfriend, this fellow FSU professor, Jeffrey Lacoste. <laughs> and he's like, thanks a lot, babe. <laughs> yeah. she At this point in time, they had broken up. Okay, so okay. She's like, well, I don't know. I guess my ex-boyfriend, um, you can check him. And it's like, why bring me into this? Like, the, you guys are just fine on your own. Don't leave me. Bring me up. So the reason why she mentioned his name, she said Dan did not like, or I'm sorry, Jeff did not like Dan because Dan had hurt her throughout the divorce. So on July 21st, 2014, Jeff was asked to come in for an interview. Um, you know, he spoke with investigators. He indicated that he was not at all surprised that he was called in since he had dated Wendy. He admitted that he had been in love with Wendy and was very much sm- smitten with her to the point that, you know, she was the type of girl you would throw yourself in front of a, in front of a bus to protect. Wow. So he's kind of saying, so you throw yourself in front of a bus, would you kill her ex-husband? Right. And, you know, that's kind of... I wouldn't... If I was him, I wouldn't... I mean, unless he actually did it, um, I wouldn't be bringing up stuff like that. I would have kept that out of the conversation, yeah. too. Yeah. You loved her. Okay. Keep it at that. So he said he had no physical contact with Dan. He admits that he had made verbal threats, indicating that he could kick his ass because he continued to make Wendy suffer, but he would have never killed him. He said on that day that Dan was shot, he was hundreds of miles away, staying in a crummy day's inn, 20 miles south of Atlanta. Of course, police looked into this. His alibi, it, it actually was true. He was there. So Jeff explained that he was concerned for his own safety. He said that Dan was killed. He did not want to be the next one. So over the course of three interviews that continued on through March of 2015, he talked about the profound dysfunction within the Adelson family. This is Wendy's family. He said that the whole family was extremely weird. And rather than focusing on Wendy and the investigation, they really should be talking with her parents and her brother, specifically Charlie. So this is Jeff saying that? Jeff is telling investigators Jeff this. is like, the Adelsons are weird. Yeah. you got to check them out. He's like, you need to specifically talk to mom, dad, and brother Charlie. Because these three desperately wanted Wendy to come back to them in South Florida. They viewed Dan as an obstacle because of their divorce and the 50-50 custody split. She couldn't go. So they saw him as a roadblock to having both their daughter and their grandsons with them. So he felt they had become obsessed with hating Dan to the point that it seemed to be their hobby and specified that Charlie Adelson should be their main suspect. This is what Jeff is saying. So Jeff was not the only person talking about the Adelson family and their disdain for Dan, but also the friends Maya and Alex, the ones that said, like, gosh, we feel inadequate of our relationship because we spent time with them. They back this concept up that they hated Dan. They're like, what do you think about the uh, Adelsons? Oh, yeah. Good idea. Look into them. Mm -hmm. So they described them as mean and unreasonable during the divorce. Wendy herself even acknowledged that her parents hated Dan. During a police interview, she made several comments. My parents have more reason to dislike Danny than almost anyone else because he hurt their daughter. She also said they are very angry with him. But she said despite this, they would have never hurt him. Wendy's family hadn't been near Tallahassee on the day of Dan's murder, and police continued to focus on trying to find this Prius that the neighbor clearly saw backing out of the driveway and leaving in a hurry right after he had heard gunshots. Yeah, if you find that, you got your killer. 
So only days after Dan's funeral, Wendy and the children quickly relocated to South Florida. She changed her children's names from Markel to Adelson as soon as she got them to South Florida. Wendy had entered a creative writing class where she recorded a podcast. She spoke of their divorce and Dan's murder and how her children were happy and thriving. After her family became implicated for his murder, Wendy cut Dan's parents off from any contact with their grandchildren. Oh, that would be crushing. Oh, I mean, not only are they losing their son, but they're now losing their two grandkids. The last piece of your son you have? Absolutely devastating. So Dan's grieving family had never spoken publicly, but asked their attorney to speak with 2020 when they talked about this case. And um, he indicated that they could not move on until those that were responsible were held accountable. So police had combed through all area surveillance. They next decided to check on the footage from city buses. So there they found a video of their suspected. So it turned out it wasn't a silver Prius. It was a very light green uh, Prius. Mm. So they saw um, a clip of this Prius from the bus cam. So the driver nor the license plate could be visualized, but a toll transponder was seen in the window, which indicated that the driver was probably not from Tallahassee because there's very few toll roads roads in this area. So people who live in Tallahassee don't tend to have them. Interesting. Like the Tampa Bay area where we live, everybody's got the toll stickers because yeah. we, we drive through them all the time. So that gave them a little picture that this was somebody from the outside coming in. So um, Which would hint to Adelson's. When police pulled toll, toll records, it led them to Miami. Mm, so surprise. Who lives mm. in Miami? The Edelsons. Yes, they do. So there they found the rental company for this car. They were able to track down the rental agreement for the Prius. Ah, nice. So the rental agreement was completed by Luis Rivera, and his identity was confirmed. He was very well known to authorities. He was the leader of the Latin Kings gang for wow. North Miami Beach chapter. He had rented the car from July 15th, 2014 to the 21st. Another contact was also put on that same rental agreement. And this was Rivera's lifelong friend, Sigfredo Garcia. Garcia was not a member of the gang, but he was somebody that police were very acquainted with. So, yeah. Yeah. So police were able to use their cell phone pings to track their movements, you know, right to Tallahassee from Miami. Okay. So um, basically, in July of 2014, they took a road trip from Miami to Tallahassee in the Prius. They made the seven-hour drive. They checked into a budget inn in Tallahassee after arriving after midnight in the early morning hours of now July 18th, which was the day of the murder. So on Friday morning, July 18th, 2014, this is the morning that Dan was killed, they were placed in the vicinity of Dan's Fitness Center. Security footage from the gyms showed Dan's Black Accord entering the parking lot, and there right behind him was this Prius. Dan could be seen entering the gym, which it was just so sad to watch the footage, and he has no idea. It's just a regular Friday morning. He's taking his kids to daycare. You see him walk in, completely clueless that murderers are literally tailing him. In two hours, you'll be dead. Yes, and really, the saddest part was when you saw him actually walk through the double doors of the gym at 1044, knowing that like 15 minutes later, he'd be dead. It was yeah. just really, really sad to watch. So, um, excuse me, he left uh, the, he entered the gym as, so basically while he was working out, the Prius was kind of like trolling around the parking lot, killing time, just waiting for him. 
So then he is seen on the surveillance footage leaving the gym. And as he drove away, boom, there's the Prius following him out. At 10.44 a.m., a city bus caught footage of Dan as he drove home. And only seconds later, there's the Prius. It's following right on his tail. So about 16 minutes later, Dan was shot and killed in his garage as he pulled in. After another bus camera caught the Prius driving away in the opposite direction from the house. And then later that same night, they could be seen, um, Rivera and Garcia could be seen back in Miami withdrawing money from an ATM. Hmm. So all of their cell phone pings matched the whole picture of this Prius. So they're obviously hired by somebody. Let's track it down. Yes. So two years after Dan was murdered, Garcia was arrested on May 25th, 2016. On June 2nd, 2016, Rivera, who was already in custody for his involvement with the Latin Kings gang, was also charged with Dan's murder. Both at this point pleaded not guilty. Investigators are now now trying to figure out how the hell are these guys linked to Dan Markell? So, you know, police are finding absolutely no ties. They're imagining, is it money driven? They were likely hired as hitmen. 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Dan wouldn't know them otherwise. Right. So eventually police were able to link the killers to Wendy Adelson's family who ran this dental clinic. Big surprise. So there was a woman named Catherine or Katie Magbanua. So she was the mother of Garcia's two children. She had also dated Charlie Adelson between 2013 and 2015. So during the 2014 when Dan was killed. So she had also worked at the dental practice. After the murder, Katie collected regular paychecks from the Adelson Institute, which were signed by Donna Adelson, despite no records of any work schedule for any kind of job title at the company. Ah. So what the hell are they paying her for? Yeah. So um, there was you're no, no tie to any work she's actually doing, but she's receiving these these paychecks according to paperwork subpoenaed from the business. They're like uh, consulting um, of somebody that's never like been in the dental business. Yeah. Interesting. So detectives believe that Wendy's family were absolutely desperate to have their daughter and grandsons close to them, so they must have come up with a plan to have Dan murdered. Just get him out of the picture, boom, we have what we want. Which, I mean, to me is absolute madness. Lunacy. I know many people, just like we all do, have gone through divorces and they're forced to stay in a certain area because of where their kids are in relation to the, the other parents. How does it cross your mind to have this person killed? It's it's beyond. Well, even crossing the mind is one thing, but like actually putting it into practice, like it's like okay, hey, um, anybody know how to kill somebody? Like a hitman? Anybody? If if, if you do, let us know. And, uh, it's it's insane to me. I mean, they did a good job of kind of hiding the steps, you know, because it was like they had to get it from this girl who was like getting payment under the table, and mm-hmm. that, that that was kind of impressive. But it's even more impressive if police found this. Yes, very very well done. So it was also well known that Wendy's brother, Charlie, did not like Dan. He did not get along with him at all. Police began to look for any proof of money exchanges that would link the Adelsons to the murder. They noted a significant deposit into Katie's account after Dan's murder. It amounted to about (laughs) $44,000. She then began receiving paychecks from the Adelson Institute that had been signed by Wendy's mom, Donna. Donna, that was totaling about $13,000. So at this point, you know, we're upwards of $60,000 per, you know, close to it. 
So right after Dan's murder, police also noted an uptick in spending on Garcia and Rivera's end. They were purchasing cars and motorcycles. Katie had also undergone breast enhancement surgery, and Charlie Adelson paid for part of the six dollars to $7,000 bill. So there definitely is exchanges of money. So when Wendy was first interviewed after being told the news of Dan's shooting, she told detectives that she was afraid it happened because he had not treated her well. And maybe the killer is just thinking they're doing something to protect her. She said that. Uh huh. So the detective asked if there was anyone she knew that would be, you know, capable of doing this in her benefit. She said that her brother, Charlie, had made a comment after buying her a TV when saying, I looked into hiring a hitman and it was cheaper to get you this TV. That's an odd thing to say to detectives after your husband has just been shot in the, or ex, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So this TV she was referring to was a divorce present from Charlie to her. Mm-hmm. So she felt that he was not capable of something like this, and he was simply joking. She's almost like hinting at trying to get him. Like, she just wants to be off off the... Off the hook. Yeah. Be like, um, well, he did mention a joke about specifically exactly what you're looking for. Maybe go talk to him. It's like, why would you possibly say that? She, their whole family sucks. So on March 6, 2015, Jeff, who was, you know, t- talking to investigators to, still, this is Wendy's ex-boyfriend, she said, or he told investigators that according to Wendy, Charlie had specifically looked into Dan being killed, getting him killed. This was in the summer of 2013. So this was a year before. Talk about good information, I know. Yes. So according to Jeff, she was absolutely dead serious when she said this and specifically mentioned to Jeff that it would cost $15,000. So police set up a sting operation in April of 2016. They had cameras rolling as all of this was going down. So this man approached Donna as she, you know, just cluelessly walks down the street. Donna is um, Uh, Wendy's Wendy's mom. mom. Yes. So she's walking down the street. This man is an undercover officer. He's wearing a body camera. He's posing as Rivera's brother. And he walks up to Donna and says that his brother is going through a really rough time and needs payment for that thing he took care of up north. Donna says she didn't know what he was talking about, but he handed her a press release about Dan's murder with a phone number and a demand for $5,000. During their brief interaction, Donna continued to claim she did not know what he was talking about, but she did walk away holding the paper. Okay. So this ruse caused a flurry of communication between Donna, Charlie, and Katie, as well as Sigfredo Garcia. So this was all secretly recorded by law enforcement, and discussion was made about paying the money. Wow, so they already had, uh, sorry to cut you off, but already had the okay to go ahead and record all this yes. stuff. Yes. A search warrant, essentially. So they discussed about paying money. They never did pay this $5,000 that was asked of them. But right away, talking about it shows that, yeah, you're, of course you, know you know what they're talking about. <laughs> if if some guy walked up to me and was like, here, my brother's having trouble, I'd be like, uh, what the hell are you? T- you have the wrong person. I would have taken the sheet and thrown it in the, tr- the trash. Sure. So, um, again, they're making these discussions. Charlie indicated that he wanted to get the mysterious messenger out of the picture. He wrote, if you can't do it, I'll have someone else do it. So now he's taking this guy out. Like, what the? You're a friggin' dentist. Charlie thinks he's a big swinging dick. He's a complete 
Oh, I, I can't stand this guy. Yeah. He's kind of a simp a little bit. He's uh, still paying for that girl's uh, breast enhancement when he's not even with her anymore. He is a douche canoe. Yeah, sounds I, like it. I will tell you. So at this point, there was not enough information to make an arrest. So as the FBI agents continued to investigate the Adelson family, it was clear that they were using a code word in reference to Dan's hit. And this code word was TV. Ah. So after Donna had been given the flyer about Dan's murder, she called Charlie to tell him about it, and he asked what they were asking for. Donna responded, the TV was probably about five. Charlie responded, they asked you for $5,000. Charlie was also heard telling Katie to find out who is playing these games and to nip it in the bud. Oddly enough, on the morning that Dan was murdered, Wendy was having her TV repaired. Right. That is what she told the police. I thought that was a weird little detail. I was like, now it makes sense. And it was the TV that her brother bought her as a divorce present. Uh. So according to detectives, Wendy told them that she had made this repair appointment. In all actuality, though, it was her mom that had made it. Some wonder if this was to establish an alibi that, hey, I was home. I was waiting for this TV repairman. 100%. The other was to think that this was code for Donna basically saying... The TV repair is scheduled for Friday morning. In other words, Dan will be taken care of on Friday morning. Sure. Why not both? I mean, they seem like they were trying to take care of a lot of details. So that's actually a really good way to show that she was busy. Repairman could say he was there and be like, yeah. Yeah. This gave her a solid alibi. So while Luis Rivera was in prison for the game-related charge, he was offered a plea deal. If he described his role in the murder, he could plead guilty to second-degree murder to avoid the possibility of the death penalty. In October of 2016, he decided to cooperate. He gave a statement to prosecutors that his longtime friend, Sigfredo Garcia, asked him to carry out this hit. He showed him a picture of Dan. He said he would be paid to come with him because he just didn't want to go by himself. Rivera asked who was hiring them. Garcia said it was Katie. He told them that they that he specifically would be given $35,000 from 100000 total that would be split between him, um, Garcia, and Katie. So when Rivera asked why they were hired to kill Dan, Garcia told him... Because the lady wants her two kids back. She wants full custody of them kids. Because he's trying to figure out what are we going up to Tallahassee for? Why are we taking care of this guy? That's exactly what he was told. He said that they followed Dan home and Garcia jumped out of their car, shot Dan twice, got in the car, and they fled. He said that the first person Garcia spoke with after the murder was Katie. He could clearly hear her voice on the other end of the line. Cell phone records also suggest the two had met with Katie on the night before they left for Tallahassee, probably just to finalize plans. Katie was then charged with first-degree murder. When she took the stand to testify, she said that she had nothing to do with it and she had no knowledge that Dan had been killed. Right. Bull crap. (laughs) So Rivera indicated that they had driven to Tallahassee a month before Dan's murder, but at that point in time, they were not able to carry out the hit. He said that they were paid in part in stapled $100 bills. Charlie's girlfriend at the time of the murder, whose name is June, she said that Charlie had the odd habit of stapling his cash. Weird. Very specific to him. I've never seen that before. That's crazy. Who the hell staples cash? What kind of psychopath? Well, Charlie. Charlie. So on October 15th, 2019, Sigfredo Sigfredo Garcia was sentenced to life in prison for first-degree murder and given an additional 30 years for conspiracy. The jurors made their deliberations in only 35 minutes. 
Um, they did reject the state's call for the death penalty. Luis Rivera was given a 19-year sentence as part of his plea deal. Katie Magbanua was sentenced to life in prison, plus two additional 30-year sentences to run um, consecutively. That's really interesting that the person that didn't actually do the murder Mm -hmm. got more time than the murder. Yeah, and um, obviously Sigfredo Garcia, he's still in, you know, for life. They're both in for life, but I I see what you're saying. And Rivera, obviously, he just kind of went along for the ride. He didn't pull the trigger, and he also helped them out. Yeah. So on Thursday, April 21st, 2022, 45-year-old Charlie Adelson was charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and solicitation of murder due to findings from this whole FBI sting operation. So they basically had audio that had been recorded between Charlie and Katie from 2016. You can hear them talking in like this loud Mexican restaurant, and that basically condemned him. So evidence submitted to the court suggests a history of conflict and antisocial behavior. One witness interviewed after the murder put Charlie at the center of a blackmail attempt, questionable business practices. Another alleges he cheated in dental school. He has turned to his powerful connections to avoid any kind of consequences in wow. the past. Crazy. And then I was like, well, just go back to being a dentist and you'll make plenty of money being a dentist in your family's dentistry but but maybe he can't do it because he's too stupid so this family was very well established because the dad harvey he had run this practice for 40 years yeah so they were making good money you already have your patients like you're good to go man your life is set but you want to get into this crazy stuff my gosh it's just so messed up so now public wiretaps reveal his conversations. He just like had so many things he would talk about. Steroid peddling, tax evasion, traveling overseas to interact with very young women. It's like he wanted to make himself bigger than he was. Ugh, just one of those guys that it's it's like when somebody revs up in their Ferrari and they're like making this fuss about their car. My first thought is obviously you have a small penis. You have something to prove. What do you think about Charlie? How, how big do you Charlie think Charlie has a micro penis. Okay. And he's trying to flash all of this stuff around, driving around his Ferrari, t- talking about steroids and going overseas for young women. Just a slimy, slimy person. Yeah. I just get very bad, va- bad vibes about this guy. So he was in court just this past um, recently, Friday, August 25th, for a pretrial hearing. Is, and then jury selection will be set for, uh, I'm sorry, October 23rd, 2023. Testimony will begin on or before October 30th. They think it'll start right around October 26th will be the trial. So it's expected to be wrapped up by November 9th, 2023, but a lot of the lawyers are thinking that it could run longer, that this trial could take three or more weeks because there's going to be a lot of lengthy witness testimonies. So we will have to keep an eye out for this one because, again, this is right around October, basically you could say Halloween. I'll tell you what's going to happen. He's going to go to jail for a long time. Hell yeah, he will. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just get to the end of that one. That That's going to happen. So Wendy and Donna Adelson have also been named as co-conspirators in this case. That's there's- my question. What happened to Wendy? No kind of arrests. None. No. Interesting. So Dan's parents, Ruth and Phil Markell, only hope that justice will eventually be served. And when Ruth was asked if she would like to send a message to the Adelson family following Charlie's arrest, Ruth said, I wouldn't send them a message, but I believe that this is a time for reflection. I would ask them, was it worth it? Was it worth it to kill my son? 
2021 article indicated that the Markels were still holding out hope that they would be reunited with their grandsons and said that they had not seen them since 2016. So sad. Ruth said, we miss our grandchildren terribly and grieve their loss of support and visitation and affection. Ruth has been pleading with lawmakers to pass some sort of bill that allows for visitation rights for grandparents if the grandchild's parent has been murdered and if the other person is a potential interest in the crime. So apparently this bill died in 2020. An article from September of 2022 indicated that Ruth and her former husband, Phil, were able to see their grandchildren for the first time in six years. She said despite their passage of time, and of course the kids were young, she said there was no awkwardness. The grandchildren ran up to them, gave them hugs and kisses. that's sweet. Which is pretty remarkable. Incredible. So hopefully they will get a sense of peace after Charlie's trial when the scumbag is hopefully put behind bars and that their relationship with their grandchildren can be established because, or I should say reestablished, because you said it well, that this is the only tie to their son that they have anymore right and the fact that they lost him so tragically and violently and then they lost their two grandkids on top of it is just nobody should ever have to go through that that was big of ruth the you know her message to be kind of you know taking the high road Mm -hmm. mine would be uh i wish the whole adelson family would have never been born uh starting from the parents because then you wouldn't have this piece of shit son charlie who killed our son or essentially got our son killed or wendy who's part of your insane family to take up our grandchildren away from us you made the entire world much worse by being born just by being born Mm -hmm. your family is a stain on this great country of ours and donna adelson I mean, she's pure evil, too. Right. I mean, she definitely had... I, I would say her and, and Charlie would be, like, equally involved. I'm, yeah. I'm not sh- quite sure why she has yet to be. They're probably working on it, I would say. I hope so. Like, once they get Charlie, or maybe, like, you know, maybe they'll get Charlie to indict her or whatever the word is. I know what you're saying. Yes. To implicate her. Implicate her, yeah. So, you know, obviously we have the two men that were the hitmen in the Prius, fantastic but we need for the people that put this into motion to see see justice and it's like okay fine charlie's put behind bars for life potentially we'll see what happens in the trial but if donna is involved just because charlie's put behind bars doesn't mean it's okay for her to run free no definitely not yeah get get them all behind bars. yeah so we'll have to watch out for the trial come october yeah absolutely so that is sadly the sad story of the murder of dan markell well thank you for bringing that to our attention that was a crazy story crazy story it's just like holy crap yeah i like did power go to their heads because they were prominent in this area of fort lauderdale and their their business was very well established i'm sure they were racking in the cash like did the the money get to your head that you have like this god complex that you could just wipe somebody off the face of the earth because they're a barrier to having your adult daughter and grandchildren? Yeah, because Charlie got everything he wanted his whole life. Uh, he figured out a way to cheat through dental school because he's too stupid to become a dentist. Not that it's easy. No, but it's, yeah, I'm sure it's very difficult. Yeah, nothing against dentists. I, I, I really appreciate your work in my mouth. So... Uh, <laughs> It's uh yeah, he just sounds like a complete scumbag loser. So hopefully he rots in jail for a long, yeah, long time. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, the rest of that family as well. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, I want to say thank you so much. If you enjoyed this this podcast, good news, there's like 30 plus more episodes available to you if you want to become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. So mm-hmm. go ahead and check it out. I want to say welcome to our latest Crime and Coffee Couple Club members, Yarna, Laura, Katie, Feisty, and Lisa. 
I love it. Yeah, very, very cool. Each one of you, like cooler than being cool. Ice cold. Ice cold. Yeah, that's what I heard a lot at the uh, the varsity game yesterday. And shake it like a Polaroid picture. Shake it like a Polaroid picture. So, yes, I can't express to you guys how much we appreciate all of your support. It means the world to us. You know, this keeps us going. It's, it's a lot of work to put out weekly episodes and then twice weekly for Patreon. I am loving it. I'm loving every second of it. You're not complaining. You just want to say, you know, a little something for the effort. It's yeah. greatly appreciated. And if you can't afford it, totally cool. We totally understand. And we are just thank- thankful for our little podcast family. We're thankful for you to be here listening. Oh, and- if you can't afford to become a patron, you want to support us somehow, just tell some friends and family and coworkers. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That's the best way to help us out. Subscribe to us, write a review. And be a patron too. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. And until next time. Bye. bye.